The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Plenty of time. Stop it. Throw it. To the end zone for Robinson. A touchdown. He'll bring four on this third down. How under pressure. That ball's out. And it could be a score. And it is. Touchdowns on the Arizona defense. Cam Thomas comes up with the scoop after Gordak knocked it away from Howell. Sam Howe's first game as the official starter of this franchise last week. There was some good. There was some not so good. But another chance to do even better comes Sunday in Denver at 425 Eastern. A chance for this team to get off to its first 2-0 start in 12 seasons. Yeah, we've talked about that this week. If they win Sunday, and it's a winnable game in Denver, the first time They'll be 2-0 since Rex Grossman led the team to wins over the Giants and the Cardinals at home in 2011. Uh, By the way, if they win the game against Denver and they are 2-0, they'll be going for 3-0 for the first time since 2005. They haven't been 3-0 in 18 seasons. 2005, by the way, was the last season in which they won a playoff game. Uh, Looking forward to Sunday for sure. Lots on the game against Denver on the show uh, today. Uh, The show's presenting sponsor is Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. If you've been thinking about new windows, I promise you it is worth giving Window Nation the first shot. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, and they will take good care of you. On the show today, Jay Gruden, he's going to be with us every Friday. Uh, We'll talk last week's win over Arizona. We'll preview the Denver game and we'll talk some NFL with Jay as well. That's coming up in the next segment. Uh, Final segment of the show, the smell test and a few thoughts on Maryland and Virginia tonight in College Park. Uh, This segment uh, will include my keys to a win over Denver and a final score prediction on the game. Last week, 20-16 to 16 Washington 
was my prediction. I'm sorry, 20 to 14 was my prediction. 20 to 16 was the actual final score. Uh, If you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast and you have time, especially on Apple and Spotify, it's super helpful for us. Uh, It's 30 seconds of five stars if you see fit and a quick one to two sentence review. Follow us as well on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to the podcast. All of those things help. I actually want to read um, a review uh, that was written by Clay. He gave us five stars. He titled his review, Five Stars and a Counter Argument. I'm reading this and it's a longer review. You don't have to write quite this long of a review. Again, one to two sentences is fine. But I thought it was interesting, Um, and I think some of you might think so as well. He gave us five stars. Uh, First of all, he said, Kevin, I've given you five stars on my phone and five stars on my work phone, a two-for-one. Thank you, Clay, very much. He writes, an absolute necessity for any D.C. sports fan who has moved out of the area, especially Tuesdays and Thursdays with Tom. Interesting hearing you and Tom weigh in on behalf of young people, on how we perceive RG3. I'm 29, and neither me nor my peers see RG3 as the high point in our time as Washington football fans. Instead, we treat him as another disappointing page in a lifetime that has been one long disappointing chapter. The closest thing we have to a legend is Sean Taylor. Santana Moss and London Fletcher are childhood heroes as well. I think those applauding RG3 as a legend are the same yahoos that hopped from the Carson Wentz's The Answer Train to the Sam Howell was a fifth round steal train. In other words, the tambourine shakers that never stopped believing. Uh, first of all, those tambourine shakers, they may be right about Sam Howell, Clay. Um, who knows? As for me and my buddies, we will continue to boo RG3. He left us high and dry and wanting more. As for the organization, instead of scrounging for a legend in recent history to appease us young people, they should focus on when times were actually good and hold that as the standard to return to. We're not dumb. We know the team's historic excellence, and we won't settle for less. We demand more than RG3. Uh, Thank you, Clay. And, you know, Clay wrote that because we were talking about RG3's return to FedEx Field. We were talking about the video that the team produced with RG3 welcoming everybody back. And how, um, you know, I said... I thought that that's an interesting choice because I consider RG3 at best to be a very polarizing figure in this franchise's history. Um, There are people that are not fond of RG3, and there are people that are fond of RG3. I mean, I think that's polarizing is actually the kindest way to describe probably the split in the overall fan base. But to your point, Clay, I'm not saying and didn't mean to say that all young people love RG3 and all, and all of the older fans don't. I know that there are fans your age that are not fond of RG3. I think my view is that there are people like you, certainly in your age group, that are not big RG3 fans, probably loved that season, but hate the way you know it ended and sort of understand you know, what RG3 was and sort of the, as Tommy described it, the co-conspirator 
with uh, Dan Snyder and running Mike Shanahan and a lot of great coaches out of town. Um, but I do think that the part of the fan base that really does still embrace RG3, I do think most of that group is younger rather than older. I'm not saying everybody feels that way, but I would bet that most of that group is younger. But I'm not speaking for all young people um, because I don't know for sure. Um, But anyway, I I appreciated that that, uh, review and your thoughts because I think actually the more important part is you describing that you don't want – you want the the organization – to not appease the younger part of the fan base by scrounging around for recent legends. And I think that's a really interesting thing because, look, Cooley and I have talked about this many times together. As much as there are players from the Dan Snyder era that I really like personally, Chris being number one on the list, Santana, Clinton, London, you know, Sean Springs, um, none of them won anything. And they, they, to me, come up way short of the real you know, winners and legends in this franchise that played long before Dan Snyder got here. And I appreciate that somebody of your age recognizes that. I've told Cooley that many times. I understand how many people have 47 jerseys and 56 jerseys and 26 jerseys. I get it, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, those players, they didn't win anything. And that's why, you know, the whole Sean Taylor jersey retirement thing rubbed me the wrong way. Not because I didn't think his jersey deserved to be retired at some point, but because it went before the champions, you know, and players that deserved it more on merit. And I didn't think that the organization understood that. They didn't. They messed that up. They didn't just mess up the handling of that weekend. It shouldn't have been Sean that was next after Bobby Mitchell. Period. Um, thoughtful, uh, email, uh, or review. Thank you, Clay. Uh, again, um, the reviews that you write don't have to be that long. They can be more like what, uh, B squared wrote B squared wrote, Kevin, I've been listening to you talk sports since you were on with John Riggins. I love the show and it keeps me entertained on my hour drive to work. Tom and Cooley are awesome, but I got to say, I need more doc. I can't understand why you won't let 88 come on more often. I'm just going by what Doc says. Yeah, don't go by what Doc says uh, because about 50% of what he says about me anyway is true. Um, I love having Doc on the podcast whenever he is available to come on uh, because he's very busy and he's very important. um, I love having him on. So, uh, yeah, rate us and review us, Apple, Spotify, much appreciated. So there is some news as we are recording the podcast from about an hour ago. Uh, Ron Rivera announced that Chase Young is going to play Sunday. Uh, This was Ron Rivera announcing that news, and then John Kime, you'll hear, ask a follow-up question, which will lead to Ron talking about how much Chase will play. Yes, very positive. Um, a lot of good things throughout the week, and there's a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, obviously we have to be smart because it is his first introduction to, you know, full contact, full speed contact, other than what he had in practice this week. Uh, and he had a very good week. I mean, the young man has worked his tail off, and 
you know, I think he's done the things that they've needed to see. So that's the real big positive for us going forward. So what, going back to how he looked early in camp, um, knowing that he's had about a month off, what can we? What can you expect from him Sunday? Well, I mean, we, we most certainly have to be aware and, and have a pitch count, obviously. Um, but the biggest thing, more than anything else, is the young man has, has just been terrific from from day one in training camp. Worked his tail off. You know, had the unfortunate where we, you know we we had to put him down for a little bit, and then now he's back up. Uh, he's been working hard. He's done everything you know he needs to. He's been chomping at the bit. Um, so we're excited for his opportunity. I'm excited to see Chase Young on Sunday. I really am. Uh, I told you guys just over a week ago, uh, I had someone tell me that the injury was more than a stinger, that it was neurological and he was going to have to be cleared by a doctor to play. They were hopeful, um, but they weren't sure exactly when the doctor would clear him. There was a doctor's appointment you know, that ultimately ruled him out for Arizona, um, and now the doctors cleared him to play. But that same person that gave me that information that I shared with you before the Arizona game also told me that, you know, he reported in shape. He reported with just a different approach. Remember, this coaching staff heading into training camp, especially after he didn't post for any uh, of the offseason stuff, anything he gave them positively was going to be icing on the cake. They had no expectations. They were interested in moving him before the draft. Let's not forget that. They were open to trade offers for Chase Young. But when he got there, he was in shape, and he had a different overall approach. Even Montez Sweat commented on that. Uh, if they get Chase Young of 2020 back, wow, this defense could really be. It's already really good. By the way, speaking of good defenses, how about just the NFC East defenses? Dallas's defense. I think the Giants' defense is good. Philly last night, my God. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox and Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham and Darius Slay. I mean, they had had guys out last night. My God, are they big, big up front. Um, I thought it was interesting last night. Trust me, I'm not going to spend much time on Kirk. I mean, for those of you that that tweeted me saying, another primetime loss for your boy, you guys are just, I mean, true knuckleheads. I mean, the dude threw for 364 and four touchdowns in the game. Uh, he was not the problem, and he was not the reason they lost. Um, one of the reasons they lost, and it was interesting to watch Philly last night on offense, because, you know, they got off to a slow start last week against the Patriots. They ran the ball down Minnesota's throat, 259 yards rushing on 48 rushes, and it was all dual threat. It was all zone read. Jalen Hurts kept it early in the game and then pretty much gave it to DeAndre Swift the rest of the game instead of keeping it on the zone read. DeAndre Swift last night, in for Kenneth Gainwell, who is really their starter. You know, Miles Sanders doesn't play for Philly anymore. 175 yards on 28 carries. 6.3 6.3 yards per carry. Boston Scott, five, uh, five rushes, 40 yards. Their two running backs averaged more than seven yards per carry. My God. Uh, it, some That was a game reminiscent more of the 2021 Eagles. I mean, they had some games like this last year, don't get me wrong. Um, but where, you know, it was true, you know, presenting the quarterback as a run threat and making you play the quarterback in what is 11-on-11 football when you have the quarterback presented as a zone read uh, keeper uh, threat. Um, 
They're good. How about A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts getting in, into it on the sideline? Uh, wow. Uh, Phillies 2-0. It's it's a, you know, they didn't look good against the Patriots. Uh, they looked better last night for sure. Um, but they got carved up last night. Even as great as their defense is, they were missing some pieces. And, I mean, you know, Jefferson, 11 catches, 159 yards. Uh, Minnesota, you know, put, put it on them with the pass game. Uh, and maybe that will be their Achilles heel. I don't know. We'll see. They're 2-0. and In uh, the NFC East, loaded with really good defensive teams. Um, all right. Uh, before I get to my keys, along with a prediction on the, the final score, Frank Clark is out for Denver on Sunday. Uh, he there is their best. He's their best defensive lineman. But it looks like Jerry Judy is back. And then for Washington, Curtis Samuel, his hip injury uh, has him. It looks like questionable for Sunday's game. All right, keys to a win over Denver and a prediction, and then we'll get to Jay Gruden. Number one, uh, this is the same as number one last week. A team like Denver needs help to score a lot of points, just like Arizona did. You can't give them free points, okay? No turnovers. I know it's cliche, but it's really important in games like this when you don't have to be great offensively to have a chance to win unless offensively you're handing them points, which is why they almost lost to Arizona. Denver's similar. They're not as bad. I mean, it's Russell Wilson, a quarterback, and Sean Payton as an offensive coordinator, and they are getting Jerry Judy back. Um, But you can't give them free points, and you can't give them solid field position because you're giving up sacks and you're ending up with third and 25s and then check down on third and 25 for seven yards and now it's fourth and 18. And instead of starting from their own 25, they're starting from their own 43. You can't have a lot of those either. Uh, number two, this is um, this is going to sound sort of counter to what I was just talking about, but I want them to stay aggressive offensively. We've talked a lot about this this week. Uh, the game plan last week, throwing it a lot, being aggressive, erring on the side of being aggressive, you know, being at two and a half to three to one pass over run to start the game last week into the third quarter before they, you know, really tried to run the ball. I'm not going to give you as a key to beating Denver, being more balanced and running the football to protect Sam. I know that a good running game protects a young quarterback and is a young quarterback's best friend along with a good defense. But I've already seen what Eric Bieniemy wants to do and wants to be. And I'd like to see that through. I don't want to risk a game if it's not working, so you got to change on the fly. But I want to see them come out aggressive. I want to see them throw the football. Like we've talked about this week, they understand, I think Eric Bieniemy does, you know, a game-managing quarterback, if that's what he is, then we'll get to that at some point, but they think he's more. And to win big in the NFL, you've got to be able to throw the football. And he wants him to learn this offense and develop as a, as a starting quarterback in the NFL as a guy that's throwing the football, not as a guy that's managing the game. So that's number two. I want to see them stay aggressive. And maybe that shouldn't be a key to beating Denver, but it's a key for me to the development of Sam Howell in the way that I think they want to see him develop. 
Um, I would certainly expect that if it goes the wrong way, like it did at times against Arizona, that they will, you know, adjust. But I, I, I'd like to see the same aggressive approach be in place Sunday. Uh, number three, uh, Washington beats Denver if they keep Russell Wilson as much as they can in the pocket. If they can, on the bootlegs, which you're going to see some with Russell Wilson, getting him outside the pocket on you know, a, a play action to a running back and then what they call quarterback keepers or bootlegs, as we know them, coming the other way, you got to hem that in too. You got to force him to get rid of it quickly to the to the shallow, to the to the guy running the shortest route, and then come up and tackle. But really, keeping Russell uh, Wilson in the pocket is is huge for any team playing Russell Wilson over the years. He's not as good from the pocket. Sean Payton can carve up defenses with great scheme. He schemes people open. Russell Wilson has always had a difficult time from the pocket seeing all of that. Uh, keep them in the pocket, play, you know, those, you know, be, be disciplined in your rush. You know, we understand that. I think as football fans, when you just, you know, go hell bent after a quarterback and you create lanes for a guy like Russell Wilson to run up into or to run or to allow him to get outside the pocket, that's when it's trouble. So keep Russell Wilson in the pocket, uh, and make him beat you from the pocket. Number four, Washington beats Denver if they stop the run. You know, I went back and I didn't mention this at all this week. You know, James Conner had a couple of creases in that game Sunday. He was 14 for 62. That that was 4.4 yards per carry. And Denver's strength, maybe offensively, is Javante Williams and Samaje Pirine. Because they actually ran the ball effectively against the Raiders last week. Uh, Javante Williams, who is a college teammate of Sam Howell's, 13 carries, 52 yards, four point, uh, four, exactly 4.0 yards per carry. And Pirine was 8 for 41, 5.1 yards per carry. As much as the defense dominated the game last week, Connor had a few runs, had a few creases. Stop the run. That's crucial. And then lastly, you know, whatever you do, um, you know, this is going to be, I think, a low-scoring game. I think there are going to be some field goals in this game. Don't lose the game on a bad snap. If they lose the game on, the, on a bad snap by Cameron Cheeseman, Ron is deservedly going to take heavy criticism by yours truly for starters. He said he's concerned about this, but he's not going to do anything until something bad happens. Now, it's possible they've been having guys, you know, work out, long snappers, you know, out at, out in Ashburn. I haven't seen that reported, and maybe they can't find somebody to do it that's better. Or maybe he's going to go back to his old technique. All right, my final score prediction. I've got Denver 20 Washington 16. Same score as the Arizona game, but a different winner. I think it's a very winnable game. I think the game's going to go under 39. I kind of like the under in this game. Um, But I think this is a game that comes down to, you know, the team that makes the fewest mistakes. Now, Washington actually made more mistakes. I mean, they lost the turnover battle 
and won the game. Denver actually won the turnover battle against the Raiders and lost the game. Uh, But this is going to come down to one of those games that I think is lower scoring, you know, field position, turnovers, you know, made kicks versus missed kicks. That's why Denver lost last week. They missed an extra point, missed a field goal. So I think it can go, you know, either way. But this is a pressure game for Denver. You know, Denver is 0-1 at home to start the Sean Payton era. 0-2 would be a disaster because next week they go to Miami. So there's a lot of pressure on them to not lose two home games to start the season. I think the pressure last week was on Washington at home with the crowd and the environment and the expectations that they were going to beat up on Arizona. This week maybe Washington can play you know, a more relaxed game. I'm expecting that that Washington will play well on defense, that you know Sam will improve and maybe be a little bit more consistent offensively, but that this is going to be a knockdown dragout Sunday in Denver. 20 to 16 Denver is the prediction. Uh, but I could certainly see it going either way. But that is the official prediction. Um, stay tuned to find out whether or not uh, Denver is in the smell test. I want to tell you right now that Window Nation's deal that they've got going is as good as you're going to get at any time of the year. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years plus. You can get up to 50% off all style windows. Bow, bay, double hung, any style. You'll save thousands on your new windows and your energy bills all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Yeah, uh, if you choose Window Nation and you call them at 866-90-NATION, go to windownation.com, mention my name, get a free estimate, and you like the estimate and you move forward with them, you're going to work with a great company with a great product. And this deal uh, is probably unmatched anywhere else right now. You're going to save big on your energy bills. You're going to make your home look better, increasing the value of your home. Uh, choose window nation. If you've been thinking about windows, I've been endorsing window nation for 14 years. I promise you it will work out eight, six, six, 90 nation or windownation.com. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years, 50% off all styles of windows, save thousands by calling window nation again, eight, six, six, 90 nation or windownation.com. Jay Gruden, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Jay Gruden coming up here in a moment. Before we get to Jay, the fall weather is here. It was 54 degrees earlier this morning. Uh, It really felt like fall. I think the summer weather is over. And if you're looking to watch football at an outdoor destination with drinks and live music and friends, I've got this spot for you. The bullpen. Yeah, that bullpen. The one next to Nats Park in the heart of Navy Yard. It's the go-to spot for all of us for baseball games. But this season, they're bringing you all the NFL and college football action that you can handle. Admission, of course, is absolutely free. Get your friends together, wear your team colors, and head on over to the bullpen to watch football in an outdoor setting that's fun. They've got the games, the drinks, the energy to make every moment unforgettable. Visit them today at thebullpendc.com to see the game schedule. We had our Burgundy and Sold party down there back in late July. Uh, It's always been one of the best spots in town, and now it is a great spot on fall weekends to watch football. Again, thebullpendc.com to see the game schedule. Mention my name if you're down there and tell them that you found out about football weekends at the bullpen because of this podcast. All right, Jay Gruden is with us right now. He's going to be with us every Friday during football season. We'll take a look back at the Washington game from the previous week, look forward to Sunday's game, and we'll talk some NFL as well. So let's start, Jay, with just last Sunday, the close call win over Arizona. What did you think? Well, I think some people would be disappointed that they didn't beat up on the Cardinals more than they did, but... I was impressed with it. You have to get a win. I think playing with a quarterback that's only played one game in his career, uh, they might be a little bit more conservative. But uh, the enemy came out and tried to air it out and give him some opportunities to make some plays. Uh, but at the end of the day, the defense held their ground, made the plays, and Howell made a play after having two turnovers. I uh, like the way he was resilient, made a play to get the win. So there's a lot of improvement they, they will do, and they'll continue to improve throughout the year. I mean, they're not going to be a finished product by any stretch the week first half of the season. They're going to have to continue to improve and gel and play together with that line and with the new quarterback and uh, playing together for the first time. It'll be it'll be tough, but if they can just, you know, uh, just, just not turn the ball over, play good defense, they'll be in a lot of football games early. You know, I, I talked about season openers as a fan and also as someone who's wagered on one or hundreds of games over – a long period of time. Week one to me is is fun, but it's hardly an indication of what a team will be. In fact, in thinking about your teams here, your first you know season, you barely scored in your first game at Houston, and then the next two weeks, I think you guys put up seventy five points. Um, I know there was a quarterback change, uh, but um, week one just is rarely an indicator of what a team will be. Do you agree with that, A, and B, why do you think that is? Well, I think week one you're getting a feel for the people that you have. Now, a lot of the teams that have veteran quarterbacks and veteran players on their team, they can come out smoking a little bit easier, kind of like uh, Miami. They got, you know, two is kind of new, but uh, veteran players on offense, they come out smoking a little bit easier than teams that have a lot of rookie quarterbacks playing, a lot of first-year quarterbacks getting significant time. Jordan Love, the four rookies that are starting um, Sam Howell, those guys, these guys aren't going to come out on firing all cylinders. I mean, even some of the veteran guys like Joe Burrow struggled. But, you know, it's about coming out of training camp. Preseason is different now than it used to be, and and you're just kind of getting a feel for the regular season. I mean, however, I will say this: 
just because it's week one, everybody's up in arms or down in the dumps, whatever it might be. You can take any week out of the year last year and pull it out and holy cow, look what happened here. So um, it's a 17-game grind, and it's hard to get a gauge for what a team's going to be week one or week three or whatever. It's a 17-week it's a, it's a season that you have to put together a team and, 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 and figure out who you are and what you're going to be. Yeah, there's no league like the NFL. It's so week-to-week, things change so dramatically, unless you're one of those elite teams which are always driven by an elite quarterback. Or maybe, you know, every year there's one or two teams that are truly horrible. But even those teams, you know, will, will rise up and surprise at some point. So back to Washington. What would be the coaching points for Sam Howell after his first game? Well, obviously... The two turnovers, um, the fumble is the biggest one. You have to have two hands in the pocket all the time and never make a bad play worse. Be ready to throw it away or take a sack if you have to take a sack. But you can't be Superman on every play. And some young quarterbacks, some strong quarterbacks, athletic quarterbacks think they can escape pressure all the time because, you know, they're competitive and they think they're great elite athletes. When you should take a sack or you should just throw it away. That's the most important thing moving forward, especially with the defense that they have. You can't give another team six points. Um, oh, Jack Del Real might beat your ass coming off to the sideline, you know. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's the biggest thing: protect yeah. the ball, and then uh, you know, just continue to improve. I mean, we're going to continue. Him and the enemy are going to continue to gel, figure out what plays they like, what plays are fits for them, how they're going to attack defense moving forward. Because each week it's going to be different, and uh, it'll be a process. It, it won't be pretty early, but I think uh, Hal has proven over two games that he has the tools to be a pretty good quarterback so far. So it's a work in progress, but it's going to be fun to watch, actually. Um, How much do you uh, get on a quarterback for the plays he misses? I'm thinking about early in the game, and and I'm I'm sure that you saw this, but he finds Jahan over the middle for 12 yards, Dotson, but he misses on a huge opportunity to Deami Brown running down the far sideline, wide open. And he, he appeared to look at him, um, but decided to come back to Jahan Dotson. How much do you get on a quarterback when he makes a positive play but misses on the big opportunity that you've schemed up? Never get on a quarterback for a completion, um, especially a first down 12 yards. Now, you'll show him on the film the big alerts every play. Or most plays will have an alert tagged on it. They should have a big post over the top for quarters or uh, a go route for man to man with Terry McLaurin at single high defense. You might run a shallow cross or something like that and then have Terry on a go ball. And if it's single high, you alert Terry. Most plays, drop back plays, have a big alert on them. Um, and you just, hey, big plays are hard to come by in the NFL. If you get the looks that we want, let it rip. Um, but I won't fault you for a completion, but don't forget about this. Don't forget about that guy in this coverage. So, um, he's got to see all the routes and see all the concepts. And like I said, it, it, it's a process and it's a it's a grind for these quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks didn't get it till year four or five. I mean, Daniel Jones didn't. I mean, he, they got shut out. But right. you see how much better he got after four or five years. It just takes some time for them to see all the route concepts versus all the coverages. Do you know the play I'm talking about? Uh, yes. So yes. why do you? I don't know. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why he didn't let that rip. That was uh, confusing to me as well. Yeah, because um, I, I do remember you telling me that Kansas City Monday night game when uh, you guys had a chance to take the lead uh, late and Doxon kind of dropped it in the back of the end zone and you said the play was schemed up for Jordan Reed and he was wide open for six, and so yeah, yeah, it was a double move and uh, there was no safety and Jordan toasted that for 
yeah. safety trying to cover him. I think it was Mitchell. Yeah. But, I mean, he threw a good ball to Doxon. We just didn't come down with it. All right. Uh, what were your thoughts on the overall – you know, offensive scheme, the game plan, the play calling. I mean, he did. He came out aggressively, letting Sam throw it a lot. I mean, they were three to one pass to run in that first half and into the into the third quarter. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, being that they're playing Arizona Cardinals, I think they probably thought they could block them up and take some shots early, get the crowd involved, and probably a little bit more overzealous than anything, but I like the aggressive nature, trying to show people that your young quarterback is ready to go. And then I think when they lost the lead, he tapered it back a little bit, got Brian Robinson involved. And I think that's what you're going to see their bread and butter is probably. Um, But, I mean, you have to let your quarterback play. And in order for them to win the division, go to the playoffs, he's going to have to make some throws and make some big-time throws and drop-back situations, and let's see what he's got. And I like the fact that they trusted him to take those shots early. And then I like the fact that they adjusted and, and did what they had to do to win the game. That's the most important thing. What else offensively, good or bad, stood out to you? I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about the offensive line play this week and you know who was responsible for the sacks, et cetera. But just overall offensively, you know, something that, that you really liked or something that you were concerned about? I think moving forward, the movement on the offensive line, you know, Brian Robinson, I got to see some more holes or something and, and speed or something. I just, there's something missing there in a running game, gain of two, gain of three, gain of four. I mean, it was effective on the last drive where Sam scrambled for a first down or for a touchdown, but uh, there's not a lot of power, not a lot of movement um, I worry about. And the pass protection is soft at times. So, I mean, we all know that they, they juggled the offensive line around. Um, so it's going to take some time, but they got to be more firm uh, so Sam can set his feet and see. Maybe he couldn't see the deep ball um, because people were bearing down on him. So got to give him a clean pocket, and we got to get some movement in the running game somehow, some way. On the other side of the ball, you know, the three best players are certainly three of their best players, John Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat. You are very familiar with all three of them. They were drafted when you were here. Um, how do you, uh, as a coach, after a dominant defensive performance like that one, um, kind of balance that, the great performance, with the fact that the Cardinals are pretty bad offensively and the qu- quarterback in that game is probably at best a backup quarterback in the league? Yeah, I think you have standards for your defense. And uh, you're going to make the opposing offense, whoever it is, whether it's, you know, Josh Allen or whoever the quarterback is, our standards are high. We're going to make this offense earn every blade of grass that they get. No free plays, uh, no late hits, play to the whistle, hustle, and hit. And that's where your MO's got to be, and that's the way they played. They all ran around and, and had physical tackles, and they rushed the passer, they stopped the run, and now the standard's set. That's the expectations they have to meet every week, and it's going to get harder and harder. Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, it's going to get harder this week, and next week after that, I mean, eventually you're going to play – the Eagles and the Cowboys. and uh, But when you set your standards and you hold everybody to those standards and, and you have great players holding these players accountable like Payne and Allen, they're going to make sure that Jamin Davis is in the right spot and Kendall Fuller's tackling and all these other things. So they have good leadership, uh, they have good coaching, and they have uh, good players. Um, you just said good coaching. You've already mentioned Jack Del Rio. You coached against him when he was a head coach and I think also when he was uh, a coordinator. Do you like Jack Del Rio? Yeah, I mean, he does a good job. He's uh, sound in what he does. I mean, he's not overly complicated. Um, you're not going to see a lot of uh, nuances in the blitz game or anything like that. He's more of a conventional, 
let's get after their ass type guy and play our style of defense, and we're not going to try to trick you into anything, um, which is good. Sometimes you like to have a little exotic blitz from time to time, which he doesn't do a whole lot of, but he's sound in what he does, and uh, he's a motivator, and that's what you need to do. Um, one more thing uh, just about last week, but it's also it also ties into to moving forward. It appears right now they've got a long snapper issue. Uh, their long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman, dribbled a couple of back during the preseason, and he bounced one back on Sunday. And Ron seems to be okay with kind of letting it play out. He said the other day, he goes, I'm, I'm concerned about it, but we won't do anything about it until – you know, it turns into a disaster on the field because they've made every kick because Tressway's done a great job of holding. Are they hard to find? How would you be handling that right now? I would like to think they had some workouts. I mean, they have to be working out long snappers, and they got to be on the phone and making sure that one more mishap, and it's, 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 we got to get a new long snapper. I mean, I, I'm sorry. We talked about this on another show somewhere. I mean, you just can't have a long, long snapper has one job. There's nobody over his face. Snap the ball. I know it's a skill, but if you have that skill, you should be 100% all the time doing it. I mean, there's no excuse. It's like, I don't know, it's just it's very simple to do if you have that skill. Because it used to be you could line up a guy over your face and you'd get destroyed. Um, but now there's nobody can line up on top of you. You just snap the ball and jog down the field and try to get in the way of the punt returner. So um, I think one more mishap and they'll be looking for a new long stepper. Um, all right, let's talk about Denver. Um, how do you, you know, when, when you're matched up, I mean, I think you did pretty well against Sean Payton when he was in New Orleans. You guys crushed him here in 2015, and then we had that. They crushed us one year. Uh, they crushed you one year right. on that Monday night game, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was Drew Brees needed like 150 yards for the record. Right. Uh, that was... He's not going to get it on our watch. He got the first two drives. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that, that 2018 team, and I, I've told you this before, I think the end of that 2018 season, the game at Tennessee in particular, was one of the best coaching jobs in a game that you did while you were here. I don't know how you coached that team up at the end of the year. You guys beat Jacksonville, and you had a chance with Josh Johnson at quarterback to beat Tennessee. Um, and But that was the year that Alex got hurt. And I, in watching it, like you, you guys – did some really good things. You weren't turning the ball over. You weren't beating yourself. Uh, Alex was managing the games, but it wasn't dynamic offensively, and every good offense you faced, New Orleans, Atlanta, they ran it up on you guys. So I thought it was a little bit of fool's gold when you guys were 5-2, and two, to be completely honest with you. Now, we'll never know because you lost Alex and then you lost Colt the next week. But but what was your thought as you guys were building that 5-2 and two record? Were you, was there any part of it that you said, yeah, but? No, I thought we had a good chance to make win the division. We had a game-and-a-half or two-game lead. Um we were six and three going and going playing against Houston before he got hurt. And we we're playing good football. And you're right. We weren't turning the ball over. We had a decent running game and we we're playing pretty good defense. And, and that's the recipe a lot of these teams have to have. If you don't have an elite quarterback, uh, 85% of the teams have to play this style of uh, football, especially early in the season. Um, you just can't light up teams and score 50 points a game. You're going to have to punt. You're going to play field position game. If you don't turn the ball over and your defense plays well, you're going to be in every game. And whoever can make a play in a critical situation will win that game. So um, that was our recipe. And, and Alex is a great manager. And I, sometimes he'd frustrate you because he wouldn't take a shot here and there. But 
Uh, I was I, I loved having Alex because he could man it. He could run. He could run for first downs when the play wasn't there, and he was not going to screw the game up and uh, give guys opportunities to make plays. And and once you get to know your quarterback and how he is, uh, you set the game plan up for him. And and he was a, a great leader for us. It's just unfortunate the way it happened. It is the the strangest game that year, though, and it's one of the strangest games statistically in NFL history because it's the only time a team has had 500 yards in a game and only scored three points. And that was the game that you guys won at Tampa, 16-3. to They had like three turnovers and missed, I think, three field goals in the game or something like that. Um, bend, that, but don't break. Bend, yeah. but don't break. <laughs> you were bending. You were bending <laughs> yeah, we to, to the tune of 500 yards. <laughs> yep, yeah, that was a tough one. That was a, that was a heck of a win, though. That was a, that was a good win. I, I mean, sometimes teams are going to move the ball between the 20s. Uh, you make them pick field goals. You force the ball out and – and do the best you can, but that was a, that was a weird game. You're right. Yeah, it was a strange game. All right, back to Sean Payton. So you did though. I mean, you guys scored, I think, nearly 50 against him at home in 2015, and then there was that real unfortunate ending to the 2017 game where you guys were up Marble. two scores. I know uh, we we don't have to go through the blow by blow with that one, but tell me about coaching against Sean Payton. Well, I mean, you know, he's going to be—he's going to be aggressive. He's an aggressive coach. You know, defensively, you know, Jack Del Rio has to understand if he's in single high, he has some patented single high beaters. If he's in two high, he's got some patented two high beaters. He's going to attack the weak side hook area. I mean, so Sean knows how to attack defenses—that's for sure. And he's going to get after you. He's going to get after you with tempo. He's going to get after you with personnel groupings and formations and motions. So um, he's going to—he's going to. He's gonna, Force, he's going to make Russell Wilson make these throws, and Russell's going to get better and better, hopefully, for Sean Payton, uh, handling these concepts that he likes and that he knows, um, like Drew Brees did. I mean, he's no Drew Brees, but um, hopefully he can do that for their sake. But they have some decent weapons. I don't think they have um, quite the speed to take the top off that they probably need, but with Jerry Judy back, he can do all the stuff that Michael Thomas did in the slot. And, um, you know, they have a decent tight. You know, they had Adam Troutman, who he had at New Orleans, so they could do some things with him. Um, but I think it's still a work in progress. Russell's going to need some time to get to know Sean, what he likes, and why he likes things that he does like. Drew played a lot of football, and he knew exactly where to go versus what coverage with what route concept. Russell's still working that uh, progression in his mind, and it's going to take some time. What do you think, uh, and what have you thought of Russell Wilson as a quarterback? You know, I think coming out in his first couple of years, he was outstanding. He was like a grease pig. You couldn't tackle him. He was, uh, you know, the off-script plays, he was incredible. I mean, he, it just drove you crazy. Um, and, and, and some of his true drop-back stuff, he was pretty good. But I think he's tapered off quite a bit. I, I don't think he can see down the field a lot. He has trouble getting to his second and third progressions, and he's not quite as mobile as he used to be. It looks like to me. He doesn't make those splash plays outside the pocket that he used to. Um, so I think that's the difference. If you have a mobile quarterback and he's not as mobile anymore, where his strength, where they're off schedule plays and he's not making those plays, well, he's not a pocket pass, true pocket passer that you want in this type of offense. So uh, it's a weird um, combination. Sean Payton is a drop back um, passing type quarterback, and Russell Wilson's more of an off script type player. So they'll find a common ground and figure it out, I'm sure, because Sean's a great coach, but. Uh, something's got to give. 
Do you see any similarities at all between Sam Howell and Russell Wilson? I'm not, I'm not talking about Sam Howell's going to be vintage Russell Wilson, but in that it seems like some of Sam's best plays and most productive plays come off schedule outside the pocket. Yeah, which is an awesome trait to have this day and age in pro football. You have to have it because the true drop-back quarterbacks, there aren't many of them anymore. So teams are going to these Anthony Richardsons and these athletic quarterbacks because coaches know that, hey, we got, we got to do something um, off schedule because we're not going to be able to call the perfect play against these defenses all the time. So we need a quarterback that can run, that makes some things happen, some quarterback design runs, some zone reads, some RPOs. Uh, and that's what they're going to have to do with Sam Howell. But, yeah, you're right. That's the, that's the type of quarterback people are looking for now. Um, and and uh, that's what Sam Howell's got to give them. And he just has to understand when he does these off-schedule plays, he can't spin out of a defensive end and fumble it in the end zone and uh, take negative plays. He's just got to take what the defense gives him still and, and, and manage the game. But be aggressive. It's a fine line. It's hard to coach off-schedule. He can't. You have to trust your quarterback. I've heard you say this before. Uh, it really uh, helps on a condensed field in in the red zone. The ability to extend because you don't have a full field and you don't have the time to get people open or the space. That that's where and and by the way, that's where Sam excelled last week. You know, was in the red zone off schedule. The touchdown yep. pass to Brian Robinson Jr. and the touchdown run. Um, when you look at when you, when you face a team that has an outstanding cover corner like Pat Sertan in in Denver, is is the is the game plan? Just explain how the game plan works and what you're thinking about during the course of the week as as an offensive guy when they have a true, you know, cover corner that's that's difficult to go at. Yeah, I mean it depends on the matchup. I think Terry can have some success against them possibly, but um, yeah, I mean you work the other side of the field or you work the other matchup. If it's a true man-to-man concept, I mean the other receivers should be able to hopefully beat uh, Damari Mathis, the other corner, you know, or you work your safety or you work your back against the linebacker. So yeah, and when they play zone, you're going to try to high-low a hook player, high-low a corner, and cover two or what have you. Um, but yeah, you want to stay away from a guy like that. I mean, it's sorry. I mean, he's just a great player. Why would we give him an opportunity to change the momentum of the game by throwing an interception? So you have concepts away from him you can run. You can line up three receivers away from him, make him play the single guy, work a three receiver concept or um, work the slot. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to leave him alone and let the other guys <laughs> cover your other good players. Who are the players that you coached against uh, defensively that, that kept you up uh, at night the most, more than any other? It was more pass rushers and corners. Obviously, Darrell Rivas was sick, um, but more pass rushers. I, I you know, we, we there's so many good pass rushers that how the hell we are not, we're not going to get a pass off. You know, JJ Watt when I was at Cincinnati, we moved around all over the place. It was it was a nightmare trying to find him. Uh, slide the line to JJ. Where's he at? No, he's a defensive end now. God dang it, uh, he's at the right defensive end. He's over attack. He's trying to chip him, but then he had the motion wherever JJ Watt is, motion and chip him. Um, he was he was probably far the. the best player I had to, had to go against because he was everywhere. All right, let's talk some NFL. What would you? What, what do you think the Jets should do? Should they ride it out with Zach Wilson, or should they be looking for somebody to come in that can quarterback a team that's pretty damn good uh, all uh, roster-wise? I, I just think they're they, they got to stick with uh, um, Zach. I mean, he was a top draft pick, and I know they fell out of love with him a little bit and went out and got Aaron Rodgers and, and benched him for Mike White last year, but 
Um, I don't know who they're going to get. That's the issue. I mean, most guys are backups for a reason. Uh, these older quarterbacks are out of the league because they don't want to play anymore or they've had opportunities and haven't done very well unless you go to like a Matt Ryan in the booth or uh, somebody like that. Carson Wentz would probably be a good choice um, because he's played a lot of football. He'd be a good backup if something if he struggled. But other than that, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, and not many teams are going to trade a backup quarterback because you see how valuable they are. I mean, why would you trade Jacoby Brissett if, if Sam Howell doesn't run his own read and, and messes up his shoulder week two or three? You got to have a guy in here that that can perform. I I know it. I've lived it. Right. It's no fun. You got to have two and sometimes three quarterbacks on your roster. Uh, if I told you both Rivers and Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan were both in shape and willing, which of the two would you pick if you were the Jets? Oh my God! Well, they're very similar. They're very productive and good quarterbacks in their career. I'd probably take the one, and neither one of them can run. So I'd probably take. I'd probably take. I don't know. That's a coin flip, really. <laughs> I'd take either one. What What about <laughs> What about Tannehill? What what if Tannehill were available in from from Tennessee if their season doesn't go well? And by the way, I'm assuming they... I'm assuming the, 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 this is a hypothetical based on Zach Wilson over the next few weeks not being able to get it done with a really good team. Assuming the the Titans go to their rookie, yeah, yeah, but yeah, he'd be a good one. I mean, he's he's mobile. At least he can run a little bit, and he threw three picks last week, and he struggled. His career has been really a roller coaster, ups and downs. Um, but he he'd be a guy that I would think they would go after if possible. Yeah. What about Kirk with the Jets? Uh, Kirk, I think is doing fine. I mean, he's due for 500 yards and four touchdowns. I think. Are why they going to get rid of him? Is he a free agent? <laughs> no, well, he is a free agent at the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, for sure. I mean, Kirk has Kirk has proven that he can play this game effectively at a high, high level. Of course. And he's durable. He's played a lot of football, thrown for a ton of yards. I mean, he gets, I mean, if you watch Minnesota, he gets hit in the mouth early and often, and he stands in there and makes throw after throw after throw. Uh, the, the, the people that don't like Kirk, I just don't understand it. I think he's one of the top uh, five or ten quarterbacks in the league for sure. Of course, you know, last night's a perfect example. You will have a lot of people that will actually think Kirk Cousins was the reason they lost to the Eagles. Um, yeah, it's insane. Insane. All right, let's talk about uh, some of the games uh, this weekend. Um, first of all, did the what did you, we talked about week one? I thought the Giants and I picked the Giants to be a better team this year than they were last year. I just liked what I saw with Dable. I loved what I saw with Daniel Jones, and they got the shit kicked out of them on Sunday um, at home against the Cowboys. Are you a believer in them at all? They go to the Cardinals. I actually am a little bit concerned about this game for them because they took such a battering. But what do you make of the Giants and their ability to bounce back here? By the way, they then go to the 49ers on Thursday night. So if they don't get this one, they're staring an 0-3 start in the face. Yeah, I think they bounce back. They they they're down 14 and nothing right off the bat, and they got out of what they do best. And what they do best is the quarterback design runs and work Saquon Barkley and the tight ends, you know. So uh, once you get out of that and you turn into a drop-back passing game, you're throwing to Hodge, Hodgkins and Slayton and Paris Campbell, you're going to struggle because the offensive line is not that good and, and they can't hold up against a pass rush like Dallas. So your, your, your hands are tied behind your back. You have to try to make an effort to come back by throwing the ball 
but you're not built that way. You're built to be successful on first down with Saquon, do some bootlegs, do some quarterback design runs, and that's how they were successful last year. Do some jet sweeps, all that fun stuff to get on the perimeter. Um, and they weren't able to do that because they were down so fast and so early, and they had to do something that they're not built to do. So I think 0-0 against the Cardinals, you'll see the true Giants come out and try to run the ball with Saquon, quarterback design runs, Jet sweeps of Paris Candles, Campbell screens, what have you. Work the tight end if Waller plays or um, Bellinger. Uh, he was a good player last year, and that's how they play. How, what do you think of Josh Allen right now in Buffalo? Well, one game, you know, he played against the Jets twice last year. And he did the same thing. They won once, and they had the game they lost. I think he threw three interceptions and got sacked six times. Uh, the Jets are a good defense, but Josh has got to just be a little bit more careful with some of these shot plays the third interception was a great play by the safety right. that wasn't on josh necessarily that was a great break and not many safeties will break undercut a, a deep out route in cover two that doesn't happen very often um so that, that was just a great play but the other two picks deep shots where he just threw pop flies down the field the the dbs just fair caught it those you can't throw those you have to be more careful with the football you want to be aggressive you can't force the ball to digs no matter how much he is pouting on the sidelines or whatever you got to go through your progressions uh, get the ball to Gabe Davis. Get the ball to your tight end, your new tight end from Utah, and, and make the correct throws. And uh, when you break the contain of the pocket, protect the dang ball. And he will do that. He's a great player. But Josh has had games throughout the course of a 17-game season where you have some head-scratching plays. But over the course of those 17 games, he's going to make way more plays than he's not going to make. And he's still one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Just was a tough game for him, and he'll learn from it, and he'll bounce back in a big way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the um, Josh Allen bashing this week is nuts. I mean, uh, there, there are probably 27 teams that would t- 28 teams that would take him as their starting quarterback today. But he, he plays very recklessly. And he, th- I mean, like that game on Monday night did not need offensively um, for Buffalo to do much at all to win the game. They, they, the turnovers crushed him. Yeah, part of that's on the play calling. I mean, if you know that you don't have to score, why are we taking these deep, deep shots against a secondary that's pretty damn good? I mean, they got two of the best cornerbacks in football right. and, and Sauce and Reed, and, and safeties are pretty dang good, too. They prove to be pretty good. So let's, it's okay to run the ball and throw some quick game and some screens and, and punt and make Zach Wilson take the ball 85 yards because he's probably going to be the one to give it to you at the end of the day. So um, there's there's a time and a place for taking shots. I just don't think against that defense was the proper time or place to do that, to give them an opportunity to get in the game and stay in the game and win the game. They play the Raiders this week. The Raiders beat Denver. By the way, I, don't, I didn't mention this to you, but I've mentioned it all week. The, the, the Raiders-Broncos game is one of the strangest games of all time. They're, each team had the ball just six times. There were just six possessions offensively for each team uh, in the game. They just drove it for long periods of time. The ball didn't hit the ground that much. The clock kept rolling, and they, you know, that's why it was a low-scoring game. Is just the the clock just kept getting chewed up. But Jimmy Garoppolo now, as a starting quarterback in his career, is forty-one and seventeen. All of the credit in San Francisco went to everybody but him, and, it, and and he seems destined to be one of those quarterbacks that all of the credit will always go somewhere else other than him. And yet, you know, he seems to have played big in some big spots during his career, and 
every team he's on seems to win. What do you think of Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, he, he does put your team in a spot to win. He's, he, I mean, I, I compare him kind of like Alex Smith, maybe. He's a, a game manager. Manager. He's accurate. Um, he seems to be a good leader. He doesn't cost your team games, typically. Um, but you'd like to have him. But you're always looking to get better. You know what I mean? I mean, that's why the Chiefs went out and got Patrick Mahomes. They they know Alex's limitations, probably, and he's getting older, and they had a chance to get a superstar, a young player, and if the Raiders have a chance to draft somebody in the first round that they think is going to emerge as a superstar quarterback, they'll probably draft them and get rid of Jimmy. But if Jimmy's on your team, he gives you a good chance to win, and he's going to put them in position, and you surround them with a guy like Devontae Adams and, and Jacoby Myers, who's a great route runner, and Hunter Renfro, and um, uh, Austin Hooper, who's a decent tight end, and Josh Jacobs, a good back you're going to have a chance to win because he's not going to hurt you. Uh, he can only help you. He's accurate and get the ball out. All right. Uh, a couple of these games real quickly. Um, did the Bengals bounce back at home against the Ravens after one of the worst offensive performances you'll ever see by a team? Yeah, I think that's the most disappointing game of all. I mean, you can't have the receivers that they have and, and one of the best quarterbacks in the league and throw for 80 yards. I, that, that is unheard of. Do you give credit to the Browns' defense or you – I mean – Who's calling plays over there? I don't understand it. But, yeah, they do bounce back because I think the, the Ravens' offensive line's all beat up and, and Cincinnati will get after Lamar a little bit. And I think Joe and those guys have a lot of pride at Cincinnati. I know Mike Brown and, and Zach, uh, the, the coach over there, and, and uh, they'll get them bounced back. Joe, Joe's not going to stand for 80-yard performance again. He's going to let it rip and get Jamar the ball and, and Tyler Boyd and Higgins, and, and, and I think they bounce back in a big way. Um, what did you make of the Chargers last week? They're, they 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 can move the football, um, but they can't. They couldn't stop the Dolphins. Some of the issues they've had in recent years. They play the Titans on the road early start West Coast to East Coast. Yeah, it'll be a tough one for them. Um, they're going to have to play better defense. That was I, I know the Miami Dolphins have weapons out the kazoo, and Tua played his tail off. They didn't really rush a passer. You know, Khalil Mack's got a. Cleo Mack's got to play. He's got to. He's got to get. He's got to make his presence felt. And Joey Bosa's got to play. So um, they got to make their presence felt. They got to get after Tannehill. But the most important thing, they got to stop somehow Derrick Henry, which I know they're going to see a heavy, heavy dose of. And I expect the Titans to bounce back too. And Mike Brable's a good coach, and I think they're going to pound uh, the Chargers and early and often. And I think it'll be a long day for the Chargers. But you never know. I mean. Um, Herb Herbert's a great quarterback, and they have some weapons on the outside. And they ran the ball for about. Uh, 200 yards last week too, so it'll be it'll be a good game. But I, I think Charger or the Titans uh, get the win. The Chiefs, after you know the Thursday night opening loss to the Lions, go to Jacksonville um, to play. Uh, what are the chances the Chiefs start the season 0 and 2? Good, good chance. I think I think that's the game of the week for sure. I mean, two great teams going at it. it was, they played tight last year when they played, and they're going to play tight again. Jacksonville added Calvin Ridley, who I think is uh, one of the top receivers in the league to go along with the already uh, pretty good receiving core is Zay Jones and, and Christian Kirk. So um, they have speed at running back. Um, their quarterback is playing very confident football. They're well coached. Uh, the defense is playing pretty darn good. That that second-year player is, is rushing the quarterback. they got Josh Allen rushing. Mm-hmm. they got Trayvon Walker. Yeah. they got pretty good. They, they're pretty damn good. Uh, these Jaguars are – and it's going to be home, and it's the first home game for Jacksonville, and that place will be loud. Those, those fans, because I live down there, and the Jacksonville fans are in love with that team, and it's going to be rocking. Um, were you impressed with the Patriots last week, even though they lost to Philadelphia? 
I was. I'm always impressed with their defense. Um, one of the toughest defenses to go against, in my opinion. Obviously, Bill Belichick, Ron, and his son do a great job coaching that team. They do a lot of movement up front. They get in your face, play a lot of tight man-to-man, and they mix it up with some zones, and they take away your best option. And uh, It's just it's a very difficult place to play. It's a very difficult defense to go against. So uh, I'm not surprised that they played good defense. Uh, Mac Jones didn't play bad. He threw for 300 yards, I believe, but uh, turned the ball over, and they couldn't quite get it done. They're going to be a competitive team in every game they play because they play great defense and they take the ball away. Uh, I think they got Philadelphia like five straight three and outs. I mean, that, that's hard to do against the Eagles. Yeah, uh, I think they've got a shot Sunday night at home against Miami. I agree. They always have a chance at home. I don't care what's going on. They're they're, they're going to be competitive, and they're going to have a shot. All right, so how good is Dallas? I mean, I know it's week one. We just talked about that earlier, but how good do you think they can be? Well, they're not going to jump out to these leads like they did against the Giants and block a field goal, get a pick six or fumble return for touchdown and be up 20 to nothing. Um by the time you get out of your tie your shoes, you know what I mean. So they're going to play some close games and back. All eyes are on back. You know when they play from behind, which they will eventually. Can he make the throws necessary to win? And I believe they have a great defense um, and they have good enough skill players. And I think Dak is still damn good quarterback. So I think they're um, one of the top teams in the NFC for sure. I think they're Super Bowl contenders. They're 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 obviously. You're going to compete with Philadelphia for that division crown in, in Washington, but uh, they are talented. Yeah. Do you have a best bet of the weekend? Yeah, I think the Giants bounce back and take Arizona. I really think they ball. I mean, football players and coaches have a lot of pride. When you get beat forty to nothing, um, you don't have to really say a whole lot in a meeting. Hopefully, you have leadership that is strong enough in your locker room. We ain't going to take this shit anymore. We're going to come out guns a blazing and and play much better football, and I just think Arizona's um, nowhere near they should be for an NFL roster. All right, so the Giants laying the four uh, in Glendale against the Cardinals is your bet of the week. Yes. (laughs) Why did you hesitate? Is there another game that you like? I was was, was thinking about other games. I was first one off the top of my head. All right. Um, What happens in Denver for Washington? Well, I think uh, both teams, like you said it, the way Denver played last week was pretty conservative. Russell chose to take a lot of the check downs and throw to the backs and the tight ends. and They didn't have a lot of big plays, but Judy didn't play, and I think Judy's going to help Denver out a lot. Um, and Washington going on the road uh, for Sean Payton's first game at home. I think they played at home. Did they play at home last week? They lost at home, doesn't Yeah, they lost at home. So it'll be a second home game, but um, it'll be tough for Washington, but they play good defense. and I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be like, 20 to 17, one way or the other. I think it's going to be a coin flip. Whoever doesn't turn the ball over probably is going to win that game. All right. Thanks. Uh, Enjoy the golf uh, this weekend and enjoy uh, the football on Sunday. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Jay Gruden, everybody, with me every Friday during football season. All right. Up next, the smell test to finish off the show. Uh, We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The smell test brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie right now has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quickly. Now, how does it work? Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and on a deposit of $50 or more, you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Now, a lot of shops will make you bet that deposit amount two to three times before you're eligible to withdraw your cash winnings. Not at MyBookie. Bet your deposit amount one time and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, use my promo code KevinDC to claim your cash deposit bonus. Right now, Washington remains at my bookie, a three and a half point underdog. The total is 39, and Washington is plus 158 on the money line. So if you like them to win outright, 100 bucks wins you $158 if they win outright. If you want to just bet with the spread, plus three and a half. It's minus 110, meaning you'll lose $110. It's one of the things I've emphasized about my bookie. They've got fair pricing. Some of these places are going to charge you minus 120, minus 125 on a loss. That is not something you want to pay. My bookie's got fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair totals, and fair pricing. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code. Kevin DC. By the way, the Terps line tonight up to 15 at my bookie. Maryland hosting Virginia tonight at CQ Stadium uh, in College Park. 
the Terps are 2-0, and trying to get to 3-0. and They haven't been overly impressive at this point, beating Towson and Charlotte. They trailed Charlotte last week. 14 to nothing. But this is a game that many of us have marked on the calendar once we found out they were going to play UVA. Um, it's been a long time um, since playing an ACC opponent in the regular season. Locks has done a really good job of trying to reestablish some of the games that were important to Maryland football fans. He's played West Virginia. Uh, that was a game that we'd love to see uh, on an annual basis. And playing Virginia is a big deal as well. Now, Virginia is not very good, although they played – a better game than some thought last week in a 36-35 to loss to a very good James Madison team. But tonight in College Park, Maryland, a 15-point favorite at my bookie. Uh, I like Maryland to really show up tonight and play a complete game. Uh, I would be surprised if this isn't a one-sided game against Virginia, and that would set Maryland up for the uh, game next week at Michigan State. Michigan State gets Washington this week in East Lansing. Um, and the Terps have a chance to get really to 5-0 and uh, before they play Ohio State in Columbus. Now, I know I've said this before in recent years. It's like, Sheen, you get way too excited about Maryland's team too early in the season. And remember a couple of years ago in their Friday night game, they got absolutely waxed by Penn State. Then it happened against Iowa as well. Well, look, I've also said the last couple of years that these are going to be Mike Loxley's best teams. And they have, you know, had two excellent seasons. They've won two straight bowl games. Uh, and I think they've got a shot if they can beat Virginia and then go to Michigan State next week. Michigan State's not that great this year. And then they've got Indiana at home to get to 5-0 and before a game in Columbus on October 7th. Uh, they would likely be ranked at that point. They've gotten votes now in both of the polls. Um, put three more wins together and do it impressively. And I think they would be sitting there, you know, somewhere between 20 and 25 headed to to, uh, to to play Ohio State, where they've never played well in Columbus, but they have played well at home against Ohio State. But I'm looking forward to the game tonight. If you're not going to get to College Park, it is a nationally televised game on FS1, 7 o'clock kick in College Park. Uh, MyBookie.ag, again, use my promo code. Kevin DC. So the smell test last week, last week was really one of those painful weeks because it was a four and five week. Uh, it was a four and five week with zero and four on Saturday with the college football plays, and then uh, I went four and one on my NFL plays. The college plays were painful because. Well, Nebraska didn't work, okay? Understood. Um, And Illinois didn't work last Friday night. But Texas Tech catching seven against Oregon, they were up, you know, by two scores at one point in the second half. And then down 31-30, they're driving for a game-winning field goal attempt, and they throw a pick six at midfield. So that game loses 38-30. And then Minnesota, I had laying 20-and-a-half. They had no business laying that number. Um, and they're up uh, 22 to six with a first and goal at the one yard line with still three minutes to go. So they're not going to take knees. 
and they couldn't punch it in, and they kicked a field goal. They went backwards, uh, in fact. So four and five last weekend. Good NFL day. I got this from Jesse on Twitter. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. Uh, Jesse, uh, I saved this. Jesse tweeted me after my smell test last week, and he said, are you high playing the Cardinals and the Rams? You just said they might be the two worst teams in the league. You're wrong about both of those, and I really hate the Buccaneers pick, too. Uh, well, thank you, Jesse, and I did. I 100% said, either on radio or on the podcast, when I gave out the Cardinals plus seven and the Rams plus five last week, I said, you know, this is one where you've really got to bite your lip hard because these could be the two worst teams in the NFL. Now, the Rams had a healthy Matt Stafford out there, and I thought he looked really good against Seattle. It's week one, but, you know, that doesn't change the fact that he looked healthy and he had a lively arm. Um, but yeah, uh, I gave out the Buccaneers, uh, as well. Uh, two of those three teams, Jesse won outright and Arizona could have won outright. I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they just covered and lost the game. By the way, my Circa picks, uh, last week, four and one in the NFL. Um, and then my Circa survivor pick was Denver. So I am out after one week. And I had a couple of people, friends of mine, say, why did you pick Denver? Like, that was a three-point line. And I told them, I said, you know, in these first few weeks, the obvious picks go down all the time. Every year in this survivor pool, you'll see, you know, uh, big favorites get picked by survivor players and they get beat outright in week one or week two. And it's like three quarters of the field is out. And last week, look, I, I told you I bet Arizona, I bet the Rams and I bet the Buccaneers. Those were the those were three of the more played survivor picks last week and two of those went down anybody that had minnesota in week one and anybody that had seattle in week one they're out uh and i thought washington you know would win the game but i wasn't 100 percent sure that's why i bet arizona plus the seven and because it was a major contrarian play and the other one was baltimore and I just wanted to steer clear from the obvious picks, knowing that one or two of them would go down, and I didn't know which ones would. And I did like Denver. I, I thought the Raiders were going to be in some trouble this year. And um, the, Ra- the, uh, the Broncos actually almost made the smell test last week because there was a lot of action on the Raiders actually last week. So I took Denver, and I'm out after one week because of a missed field goal and a missed extra point. Uh, in the game last week against the Raiders. All right, let's get to this week. Uh, so there were a lot of games that nearly made the cut. I think at one point I had 18 games written down. And so I narrowed that list down after getting a lot of information about where some sharp money was. Uh, and I want to start with just this idea going into it. Um, it has nothing to do with me making these picks, but I did have a feeling that a couple of my picks would be 
in games where teams would be looking ahead to next week. Next week is an unbelievable college football weekend right now as it stands. Florida State, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Utah, UCLA, Iowa, Penn State. There are just unbelievable – Colorado, Oregon. There are unbelievable games next weekend. It is the first major heavyweight matchup weekend of the college football season. And I think Scott said it the other day, but I I think the same way. Like, some of these teams are going to be looking ahead. And I thought that some of the games that I would have this weekend would be teams that may be looking ahead. And so let's start with Florida State and Boston College. Florida State is going to Clemson next week in what will be a massive game for Florida State season. They hammered, you know, LSU in the opener. Uh, they beat somebody last week 66 to 13. I forget who it was. I'm pulling it up right now. I know it was, you know, one of those um, non power five schools, Southern Miss. They beat Southern Miss 66 to 13. They've got Clemson next week, and really that game. You know, they play Miami later in the year. They play Florida later in the year. They play Duke, actually, too. That might end up being a tough game. But this Clemson game on the road really is going to be the game that either very much puts them in the forefront of the playoff conversation or could take them out of it next weekend. They're playing BC this weekend. Um, They're playing BC in Chestnut Hill. BC's one and one. They barely beat Holy Cross last weekend, 31 to 28. And the week before that, they lost to Northern Illinois, 27 to 24. Uh, this game's got a high line. I mean, it's not, you know, a, a super high line because the public's all over Florida State laying 26 now. But the game opened at 28. There's a ton of sharp money on BC. First play this weekend, Boston College plus the 26 against Florida State, who may be in look-ahead mode. I'm not telling you that Florida State's going to lose the game, but I'm telling you that this might be a much tougher and a much tighter game than anticipated. The other one that is in – the other team that I have in the smell test that is in look-ahead mode, Penn State. They play Iowa next weekend in their whiteout game next Saturday night. Iowa's undefeated. Penn State certainly expects to be undefeated. I love their quarterback, Aller. Um, And I like Penn State's chances to be uh, a Big Ten champion and be a playoff team, although I've never trusted James Franklin as a head coach. And I think they're going to be looking ahead next uh, to next week's whiteout game, which is quite the scene. I've been to two of them. Went and saw the whiteout game against Ohio State a few years back, the Dwayne, ha- the Dwayne Haskins game, um, incredible game. And I saw them play Michigan in a whiteout game as well. They're at Illinois tomorrow in an early start, just like Florida State Boston College. Illinois capable. I gave them out last week. It did not work, plus the short number at Kansas on Friday night. I'll take Brett Bielma as my head coach over James Franklin personally, but Penn State's got more talent. But I do like what Brett Bielma's building at Illinois. I'm not so sure they're ready yet, but I think Penn State gets caught in a little bit of a look ahead. The public is all over Penn State laying 14 and a half. Uh, You might be able to even catch 15 in this game. Uh, And the sharp money 
is on Illinois. So I'll take Illinois plus the 14 and a half. Next up is K-State and Missouri. Uh, K-State's ranked 15th in the country. Don't forget that Kansas State was the Big 12 champion last year. They beat TCU in that championship game, even though TCU went on to the playoff. Uh, K-State's opened up with wins over Southeast Missouri and Troy. Uh, Impressive wins. They're at Missouri laying a perceived very short number. The number is four. Missouri barely beat Middle Tennessee last week. That was the team Alabama crunched in the opener. Missouri is always kind of tough at home. Uh, The public loves Kansas State. This line at one point earlier this week was five and a half. There is sharp money moving that line down. Give me Missouri plus the four. How about Tennessee and Florida? Uh, This is a game from the 90s that was just for about a five or six year period was the game of the year. Tennessee with Joe Milton at quarterback, 2-0, ranked 11th in the country. They crushed Virginia in the opener, and then they beat Austin P last week pretty easily. Um, people think that Tennessee is back, and they were certainly back last year until the injury. Hendon Hooker, who I think is in Detroit. I think Hooker is in Detroit. Obviously, he's not healthy enough after the injury late in the season last year against South Carolina. Um, but Tennessee is the public darling in this game. That line's at six and a half by the half point and take the Gators in the swamp plus the seven on Saturday night. Those are the four college plays. Let's go to the NFL. Uh, you're going to laugh when I tell you that my first play is the team that I said last week was the worst team in the league and I gave them out against Washington plus seven. And now they're home against the Giants getting only four I know the Giants lost 40 to nothing, but the public believes the Giants will bounce back, crush the horrible Cardinals because they have to because they play the 49ers the following Thursday night. So the Giants are staring 0-3 in the face if they don't beat Arizona. And that's why the public loves New York. That line's just sitting there at four, begging people to take the Giants. I'm going to take Arizona for the second straight week. They uh, were good to me last week. I've got the Cardinals plus the four. Staying in that late afternoon window, uh, you've got the Rams once again uh, as an anti-public side against a heavy public side, and that would be the 49ers. Uh, The 49ers are laying seven and a half. I'll take the Rams at home plus the seven and a half. Sunday night, the Patriots are catching three against the high-octane Dolphins, who had Tua throw for 466 last week in their 36-34 to win over the Chargers. The Patriots were impressive against Philadelphia. They're catching three in Foxborough Sunday night. I'll take the Patriots plus the three. And then on Monday night, I'm going to give this one out now, I like the Panthers plus the three. The public loves what they saw with the Saints, 16-15, to 15, okay? Um, uh, the Panthers did not look great in their loss to Atlanta. Uh, this is a home game on Monday Night Football. Uh, our first look at Bryce Young. Uh, most people didn't watch the game last week. I like Carolina plus the three. Uh, BC plus 26, Illinois plus 14 and a half, Missouri plus four, Florida plus seven on Saturday, the Cardinals plus four, the Rams plus seven and a half, the Patriots plus three, and on Monday night, the Panthers 
plus the three. There are your smell test picks for this week. I'll tell you, there were a lot of games. Like I gave out uh, on the show yesterday, I think I mentioned, certainly I did on radio, I'm pretty sure I, I mentioned it on the podcast, that I leaned in the direction of, of Navy against Memphis. They covered easily. Uh, and then I liked the over in the Minnesota-Philadelphia game last night, and that game went way over. There are other games that were really close that I'm going to play personally, but they didn't necessarily fit completely the, the smell test criteria. Um, I like Georgia Tech. They're getting 18 at Ole Miss a little bit as a lean. I like Purdue a little bit as a lean uh, against Syracuse. Ohio getting three against Iowa State is a strong lean. And then on Sunday... The Titans were very close to making the smell test. I think I like them, and I think I like the Jags uh, as well. The Falcons also could be a play. By the way, let me mention, Sunday before the 1 o'clock games, follow me on Twitter. Check out my Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. I may add a game to the smell test before the Sunday kickoffs because there is one game in particular that I'm just waiting for more information on. So I may add a game to the smell test Sunday uh, via Twitter. All right, that is it for the day. Can't wait for Sunday uh, to see what this team looks like in week two. Be back on Monday to recap the whole thing. For the Broncos show the whole playbook in the first quarter. Lead 10-0. And Washington now at the 20-yard line. Their first possession of the second period. And he got smoked. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.